we have been uh, thinking quite a bit about what it means to have fellowship with the Father and the Son. Fellowship with the Spirit, the Apostles' fellowship, fellowship with the truth. <clears throat> and I'm thinking that there are many Christians in this world just wondering, how can I maximize my enjoyment of fellowship with Christ? How can I, what is there in this world that might be hindering some of the Lord's people from really having that enjoyment that is anticipated for them to be having? And so we're going to look at a few things here this evening. And, uh, and just want to warn you, if you fall asleep, you'll miss something and, and you might not get the whole chain together. You know, <laughs> uh, It is very important for all Christians to see that there is a vast difference between the privileges that the church has and the Christians of this world and Israel had in the past. And I think that that's one of the things that has crept in throughout the dark ages that have kept many of God's people from maximizing the full enjoyment that's available for them in fellowship with Christ. We just want to start here. Israel's religion was what I would call worldly and carnal. And we'll start by looking at Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 1. Then, verily, the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service. And here's a strange expression and a worldly sanctuary. Now, the next verse is in the same chapter, but verse 10. Which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings. And here's another strange expression, cardinal ordinances imposed on them. Israel's position, their religion, their place before God, was earthly, and we've had two terms here that express what that means, worldly and carnal. Now, looked up the word carnal, and it simply means pertaining to the flesh. And that's exactly what Israel's portion was. It appealed to the senses. They had that which appealed to the eye, the ornate buildings of the tabernacle and the temple and the flowing robes of the priests and the Levites, and that which appealed to the ear, the choirs, and bells on the priest's garments, and that which appealed to the smell, burning of the incense, and the roasting of the sacrifices, and that which appealed to the taste, the meat offering, the peace offerings, bitter herbs, the drink offerings, and that which appealed to the touch, all of the physical things of the tabernacle and of the temple. That was their portion, earthly, sensual, carnal, but it was what God intended for them. But all of that is only a picture of better things for the Christian. Let's look at Second Chronicles chapter 7. Second Chronicles chapter 7. And verse 1 tells us, Now, 
when Solomon had made an end of praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. And the priests could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. And when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement and worshiped and praised the Lord, saying, for he is good, his mercy endureth forever. This was a wonderful moment for those in Israel. They had obeyed the voice of God and the temple was made all of the things were in place as the Lord commanded. We have it all in place. And the glory filled the house. A wonderful moment. But something happened. Let's look in Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 8. Something happened in Israel. From that very wonderful moment when the glory filled the house, the people were worshiping the Lord. But then we find in chapter 8 of Ezekiel, verse 4, it says, And behold, the glory of the God of Israel was there. Yes, the glory was there. But in chapter 9, verse 3, it says, and the glory of the God of Israel was gone up from the cherubim, whereupon he was to the threshold of the house. In chapter 10, verse 18, it says, Then the glory of the Lord departed from off the threshold of the house and stood over the cherubims. In chapter 11, verse 22, It says, Then did the cherubim lift up their wings and the wheels beside them, and the glory of the Lord was over them. And in verse 23, afterward the Spirit, sorry, and the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood upon the mountain, which is on the east side of the city. Now, I think if we look at these items. It was a wonderful time when they had obeyed the Lord and the glory filled the house. But then years later, we're finding something's happening here. The glory was over the cherubims. It went to the threshold. It went back again. It went to the threshold. It went out of the house. It went up to the mountain. The glory was departing. But when I read those verses, I can't help but think it was hesitating. It didn't want to depart because of the condition of the people. When they started worshiping those idols and turning away from God, the glory departed. Well, now, I think we have some New Testament portions that are very similar to this. We'll start with Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 9. 
And it says, and when he was departed thence, he went into their synagogue. Now, if you read the portion, he was departing because the people of Israel were condemning the guiltless. Something was wrong, out of order, not according to the mind of God, condemning the guiltless. He departed. Chapter 13, verse 53. It says, And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these parables, he departed thence. Why did he depart? Because there were those in Israel that refused to see, to hear, and they didn't have a heart for what the Lord was saying. Departed. Chapter 14, verse 13. It says, when Jesus heard of it, he departed thence. Chapter 14, verse 13. Because they were refusing John's testimony. Chapter 15, verse 21. It says, Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon, because they pushed themselves forward to be leaders, but are the blind leading the blind? The Lord departs from such a thing. Chapter 16, verse 4. It says, And the wicked adulterous generation thinketh after a sign, and there shall be no sign given unto it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. And he left them and departed, because it was a wicked and adulterous generation. They had turned away from their God. Chapter 23 and verse 38, it says, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. It was once called the house of God, house of prayer, the house of the Lord. But what did Israel do with it? It ended up being their house. The Lord didn't have a place there anymore. Their house. Your house is left to you desolate. So what's he say in chapter 24, verse 1? And Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And I think because of the fact that they had taken things over and used it for their own pleasure, we can say at that point, the Lord departed absolutely. Yes, it was all of that which is of Israel that had turned away from God. Any life that was in Israel as a nation had died out. Now, I think we can say that there's a picture of that in Genesis 23. We're going to tie this in here in a moment, but in Genesis 23, we have, and Sarah was 107 and 20 years old, there were the years of the life of Sarah, and Sarah died in Kirjath Arba. I think Sarah is a picture of Israel. I'll tell you why in a moment. But I think her death coming in just at this point gives us a pattern of things that is very beautiful. But we'll talk about that as we go on. 
So here's that picture. Israel died and there was no life left there. Now, back to Matthew chapter 13. In Matthew chapter 13, we're going to read from verse 1. And it says, The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside. And great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. I think what we have here is a picture of the Lord coming out of the Jewish house. Yes, we found that the glory had departed. We found that they had rejected Christ and what he had said and what he had done, and he departed. And their house was left to them desolate, and so he departs absolutely. He goes out of the house. He goes to the seaside. And since he goes out to the Gentiles to tell them there's something new going to happen here, the sower goes forth to sow. Now, the field was cleared. There was no more fig tree, no more Israel, no more vine, speaking of Israel. The field was clear. The Lord was going to start something absolutely new. But I wonder, as I look at the history of the church, and we consider this house as a Jewish house, I can't help but think that there were some that came out of that house and brought some of the furniture with them. We'll talk about that in a minute, too. The field was clear, no more fig tree, no more vine. The Lord was establishing something new by the word of the kingdom. After the Lord was crucified, risen, and ascended, the apostles continued to speak the word of the kingdom. But we are aware from reading the epistles that there were those that followed Paul that were trying to take the Christians back into the Jewish realm of things, worldly, carnal way of worship. And we find, if we ever look at, at the church's history, we find after the apostles passed off the scene, those Judaizing teachers did just that. We get into the time of the Dark Ages, and we find that all of the things that Paul was trying to to hold back had, had now a flood of things coming in, and it's all Jewish. The church had taken up a lot of things that were really belonging to Israel and didn't belong to the church at all. And what do we find? We find a lack of real spiritual life. During the Dark Ages, awful things were happening. Just to mention one. They were selling indulgences. Can you imagine, now that you know the truth of what the way of salvation is, of how sins need to be dealt with, can you imagine that someone would come up to, to you and say, if you give me so much money, I'll get your sins forgiven. Oh, it's an awful thing. Awful thing. But that's what was happening. The life had gone out of the Christian testimony during the Dark Ages because... They had taken up those things. They had a lot of things that appealed to the eye. Those large, huge cathedrals and 
large ornate buildings and the flowing robes of the different priests and the different bishops. And when they had a big, uh, I don't know what you would call it, a, a diet of worms, it was called, uh, had this diet, this time where they all came together for a certain purpose. The people in the city were amazed at all of the gorgeous robes that they came in from different parts of the world. Yes, carnal religion. They had burning of incense. They had all the physical things that marked their buildings and services. It was all Jewish. Over time, and I have to say, even today, there's a lot of Jewish things found in the church. Not long ago, a brother told me that he felt that the testimony today of the church in this world, taking in all the places which would call themselves Christian, about 95% of it is really Jewish. And that's astonishing when you think of all the things that have been recovered over the years, the precious things that are so vital to going on rightly for Christ. So let's turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And verse 7. It says, Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Now here when we speak of law, it's not the Old Testament law. It's the guidance and principles and, and, and instructions that we have in the New Testament. The carnal mind cannot grasp those things because it's foreign to them. The carnal mind wants those physical things that they can glory in. But no, today, it's not the physical things, it's spiritual. Those things that are valuable for all eternity. All the physical things will burn one day, all of it. But what's spiritual will last for eternity. So it's well to keep that in mind. The carnal mind is enmity. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 1, and I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual. Something was going on at Corinth that was very serious. He couldn't speak unto them as unto spiritual. He had to speak to them as unto carnal. That's what their position was, babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it. Neither yet now are ye able, for ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? Yes, this is what we find in most of Christendom today. People drawing into their own little, little groups, following a man, following a doctrine, following something, but dividing up God's people as was never intended. That takes them out from the fullest enjoyment of fellowship with the Father and the Son. Because we know the Son himself prayed, 
that they all might be one like he and the Father were. That's a practical thing. But we see in Christendom this dividing up of God's people that was not intended, and it does have an effect on how much of the enjoyment we can have of fellowship with the Father and with the Son. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. We found out what marked Israel and what marks much of Christendom today, but now we're told what it is that we should take advantage of because it's there, it's for us. And it says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. We have available to us every spiritual blessing in heaven. We have available to us all that is needed to go on rightly for Christ as we wait for his coming again. We have available to us everything that we need to have the fullest enjoyment that any human could have of fellowship with the Father and with the Son. So it may be asked, here in the last days of the church's history on earth, and I'm sure we all have an appreciation for the way things are developing, it can't be long, what can we do about this condition we find around us all around in Christendom? I think the answer is in Revelation 2 and 3. I don't think we need to turn there, we're familiar with it. Let him that hath an ear. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit has to say. So when I read that, and we go through the seven churches, and the first few are marked by it being in one order, and the last few are marked in another order, I'm under the impression that when we get down to the last days of the church's history on earth, it's very individual. It depends on you and I to listen to what the Spirit has to say, to cling to it, to walk in the good of it, to be here for God's glory, because we find that the systems of men will all limit how far we can go in the enjoyment of that fellowship. There's a beautiful picture of this in Genesis 24. So I'd like us to turn there. Genesis 24. Now I know that this has been used in the gospel and I have rejoiced in the way that the gospel preacher can use this for bringing out uh, some precious things in the gospel. But I would like to notice some details here that might suggest to us that there is another uh, interpretation or application that might be a little closer than gospel. It says, and Abraham was old and well stricken in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house that ruled over all that he had, put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that thou shalt not 
take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. But thou shalt go unto my country, to my kindred, and take a wife unto my son Isaac. Just want to make a little observation here. Who was he sent to? He was sent to someone that already had a vital link with Isaac, my kindred. What I like to suggest is when he goes to this far country, when he goes there, he's going out into all of Christendom with all of the mixture of things that we've talked about that's mixed in the things of Israel. And he's trying to draw someone out of that mixture of things to come to have a simple appreciation, a simple enjoyment, a simple relationship, not with all of the systems and the things of men, but with the person of Christ. Individuals, you and I, drawing us further and further into that wonderful fellowship. It says, to go to my country and my kindred, he didn't say to bring someone of the Canaanites. Now, I think if we've read our scriptures, we realize the Canaanites, they didn't go into the land through the Jordan. They went a different way. They are a religious people that don't know the salvation of Christ. Religious people, and we know of many of them in this world, many different groups, they don't know what real salvation is, but they talk about their religion. Well, now, not of the Canaanites. No, there's no vital link with Christ and the Canaanite. But there is with this one that's in this country that happens to be somewhere where there's a mixture of things that he wants to draw out of that to become closer to Isaac. The servant said unto him, peradventure the woman will not be willing to follow me. Unto this land must I needs bring thy son again unto the land from whence thou camest. And Abraham said unto him, Beware that thou bring not my son thither again. <laughs> no, Christ was here once. Christ suffered once. Christ died on the cross once. Christ shed his blood once. There's no need for him to come back. What he wants to do is draw people out of this world into his fellowship. The Lord said, the Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, which spake unto me and swear unto me, saying, Unto thy seed will I give this land, that shall send his angel before thee, and thou shalt take a wife unto my son from thence. If the woman will not be willing to follow thee, then thou shalt be clear of from this my son thither again. Now I think we're very much aware that the beauty of the picture here is that this servant is a picture of the Spirit of God going to work into the hearts of, of different ones to draw them into a closer relationship with Christ. And that Spirit of God is active today. Now, I'm under the impression that there are some that because of the mixture of things over the years, it's hard for them to let it go. Tell you, it's friend, uh, two brothers that I know of, over in the UK, were walking down the pavement sidewalk, and there were a couple of nuns approaching them. So one said to the other, I think I'd like to stop and ask, and ask the nuns some questions. So when they got closer, he said, excuse me, can I ask you a question? 
And so this other brother walked on a little bit, and one of the nuns walked on a little bit. And he said to this nun, he said, I want to know, how can I be right with God? And she gave him the clearest gospel message he's heard for a long time. And he said to her, how can this be? That's not how the religion that you're associated with believes. She said, no, it's not. But I feel I can do more good where I'm at than coming up. So I'm just trying to say this. There are those that are mixed up with things that for some reason or another, they think they can't leave. We don't question that. We leave them. If she's not willing to return with him, to leave it alone. But you know, there are those that have returned. There are those that have responded. The servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swear concerning the matter. And the servant took 10 camels of the camels of his master and departed, for all the goods of his master were in his hand. And he rose and went to Mesopotamia unto the city of Nahor. And he came, he made his camels to kneel down without the city by the well of water at the time of the evening, even the time that women go out to draw water. Here's the Spirit of God. He is bringing all of the beautiful things of heaven to show to the people that he's going to work with. And he says, look, look at what I've got to offer you. Ten camels laden with these wonderful things. This is the Spirit's work. He's speaking to the hearts of different ones that are still wrapped up in these different systems. And he says, I've got something better for you. We read in Hebrews that we have that which is far better than what the Jewish people had. And Christians that get themselves mixed up with Jewish things, they're going back to the weak and beggarly elements. And the Spirit is saying, oh, but I've got something far more wonderful, far, far better than what the systems of men might have. And where does he go? He goes to the well. He doesn't go into the city. <laughs> the city is a display of all of man's accomplishments, the buildings, the fountains, the parks, the, all of man's accomplishments. He doesn't go into the city. He goes to the well. And what is the well? This is where the water of the word can be found. And he goes to the place where he thinks that if someone comes out of the city and wants to draw the water of the word, there's something of valuable in that life. And that he would seek to encourage it to be more fully for Christ. And here's this young lady. She comes out. She goes to the well. She knows where the, the living water is found. She knows where the word of of the water of the word is being able to be enjoyed. In other words, she knows about the Bible readings, Bible studies. She knows about the prayer meetings. She knows where these things are available to her, and she puts it as a priority. And there's a time. It's a time when the women go out to draw water. It's a time. It's a set time. We have a time here, 7 o'clock on a Wednesday night. It's a time when they can draw from these things that are of eternal value. And so she goes to the well. And what's she marked by? She's marked by humility. She has to go down to the well. 
You know, it could have been that she had some friends that said, oh, come on, we're going to this entertainment or we're going to this, whatever it is, come on with us. But she would say, no, no, it's a time. It's a time where I can get something of eternal value. I can do that and I can have something that's not going to be taken from me, eternal value. And so she humbles herself and she goes down to the well. She comes out and here is the servant. And the servant was praying to God, saying, if there's a damsel that comes and I say to her, give me to drink, may she say, drink. And so he puts her to the test. But when he goes to her, he uses a different word. He says, will you give me a sip of water? And she says, not just a sip, drink all you want. I'm happy to have something to refresh you. She knows if we have our application here, she knows that the word is available and it will never be exhausted. It's available and she can give as much of it away as she has because what she has will never be taken from her. And so she gives and she's marked by work. She's not afraid of work. She says, I'll draw for your camels also, 10 camels. I understand as much as they can eat, drink as much as 30 gallons each. That's a lot of work for this young lady, but she did it. She's not afraid of work. And so it goes on. He says to her, <laughs> whose family are you of? Is there room in your father's house? He didn't wait for an answer because he saw something here that he really liked, some qualities that were valuable. And she says, yes, there's room in my father's house and provender enough for the camels to bring them along. And so she goes back to the house. But before that, he puts an earring on her and he puts a bracelet on her. And she gets to the house and she tells them of this one and her brother looks at the earring and looks at the gold bracelet. And he runs out and he says, why are you standing outside? Come on in. What was it that motivated him? He wasn't at the well drawing water. He wasn't at the prayer meeting. He wasn't at the Bible study. What motivated him was the gold. You know, there are people like that. They don't see the value of eternal things, but they can see the value of temporal things. Well, he's going to miss out on the blessing. Goes into the house and he says, I'm not going to eat until I tell you my errand. And he tells them the errand and he tells them what the spirit of what God has done and how she responds and how everything was so perfect. And, and he rejoices in that. And then eventually he sits down and he eats with them and he gives them some of the precious things that he brought. Next day he says, let me go. Let me take the damsel. And they said, no, tarry here a little longer. You know, it's sad, but those that are wrapped up in systems of men, the things of this world, they don't like to see people leave that. They don't like to see people just go and enjoy Christ Often their system is far more important than the word of God. And so we find here they're trying to detain this young lady. They finally say, well, let's ask her. And they ask her, wilt thou go? And she says, I will go. It's a wonderful thing. 
to get to that point and say, you know, Christ is everything. I don't need all of the trinkets of this world. I don't need all of the gimmicks of this world. I don't need the Jewish ideas that brought into Christendom. Christ is everything. And she goes. There was enough there. She heard. And it was enough to draw her. Well, what is it draws people today? It's when we tell them of the beauties and glories of Christ, when we tell them of his person, when we tell them of the wonderful things that he's done for you and I, when we tell them how he wants to come again and take us out of this scene to the Father's house. It's a wonderful thing that we can tell people of this world those things, and Christians that might be mixed up in a lot of things that cause them some confusion. Well, when she gets there, She's riding on the camel. She sees him in the distance and asks, who is this? Oh, that's my master's son. Well, she jumps off the camel and she puts her veil on. Now, some might have thought, why didn't she have the veil on before? But now that she's coming with him, she could take that veil off. But you know what I think was going through her mind? I see him now. And I saw all of the things that were sent on these 10 camels. And he's now my object. And now I'm going to be for him and only him. And he took her and he loved her. Yes, Israel had died. Sarah had died. But now Christ has something that brings joy to his heart. When there are those that are willing to leave things and to join in him with his fellowship to bring pleasure to him as we wait for his coming again. It's a wonderful thing to know what it is to be enjoying fellowship with the Father and the Son, with the apostles, with the Spirit, with the truth, and have nothing in between our heart and his that brings not only pleasure to us, but pleasure to him. And John writes those things that your joy might be full. And so when we see dear ones in this world that are so mixed up about, about many things that are that are causing them to wonder just what is right before God, well, here's an opportunity that we have to be able to tell them the beauties of Christ and the simplicity of what we find in the word of God, the simple way of coming together in the name of Christ alone, the simple things that we have, but they're wonderful things, they're eternal things, they're spiritual things, things that man cannot take from us, things that'll be ours for all eternity. If we're holding on to the trappings of this world, the large buildings or whatever it might be, it's all going to burn someday. But when we have Christ and only Christ, nothing will take that from us. The real blessing and encouragement to all that have an exercise with those. It's wonderful when there are those in the local company that have the same exercise and we can encourage each other to go on for him. He's coming soon. We'll have a little prayer. Our God and Father, we thank thee for our Savior, who loved us, gave himself for us. We thank thee for the Spirit of God that has revealed the beauties of Christ to our hearts. We thank thee that those beauties have been of such a nature that they have, they have outshined anything else that this world has to offer. And now we thank thee, our Father, that to have fellowship with the Father and the Son brings more pleasure than any of the things of the natural realm of things. And so we 
thank thee for the blessings. We pray for the conference coming up. We pray that our brother might be able to express the, the functioning of the Spirit in such a way that would attract our hearts more and more to Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. We ask thy blessing in that most precious and worthy name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.